This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Stacy, she's going viral on Twitter today. I'm famous. She's so much more famous than any of us will ever be. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's been true. Yeah. What? Stacy Ben Rost. <laughs> <laughs> but Stacy, you you asked a question today on Twitter that we're going to get into in about 15 minutes from now, and we want to get some text into the Coors Light text line seven ten seven ten before we before we get there. But uh, you had some fun on Twitter today, interacting with all sorts of people. Yeah, I asked people. So, well, me, Jessamine, Lydia, and Brent, uh, we're just kind of killing time in the sports pit. Just kind of a slow Wednesday afternoon. And um, I said, what's the, I don't know what happened. I think it was maybe after Daniel Vogelbach's homer. And then Jessamine mentioned some other game. Oh, we were talking about Mike Leake's near-perfect game. Mm. Um, And then I said I was going to get a Twitter account. Uh, called the Mike Leak Perfect Game Tracker, where I tweet every start how close he got to a perfect game. And, like, you know, most times after the first batter, yes. you're like, no. Yeah, but, I mean, now you know. You're welcome. Okay. Um, And so then we got into the discussion of what is the most uh, – I used the word immaculate, but I don't think that's the word I meant. So the most historic or memorable – moment you've ever seen in person you had to be there in person Mm -hmm. at a sporting event and i got some wild responses and we're going to get into some of those coming up in about 15 minutes from now if you have ever been to a historic sports moment of any kind make sure you're texting that in to the course like text line 710 710 we want to hear from you but stacy you've been going through every position group on the seahawks over the last couple of weeks on 710sports.com. And today we sort of wrap up the preview series that we've been doing here on Seattle Sports at Night. And tonight we are looking at the skill position, guys. Yeah, so we've got a quick look at wide receivers, running backs, and then specialists. So all of these previews um, you can find on 710sports.com. They're just a very quick summary of basically the key contributor or contributors of each group, um, the breakout candidate, what's new, so all the players who have been signed in the last, I don't know, nine months for this team. And then uh, they all have a list of not only every other position preview, but just that full group so that you can have like a mini roster of that group ahead of you. So uh, right now on the front, we have uh, wide receivers. Uh, I think the key contributor there, very obviously Tyler Lockett, Uh, coming off not only his best season, but now entering a season where he's uh, the number one receiver. So taking a bit more attention from defenses because of that, but for good reason. He and Russell Wilson had a perfect passer rating last season together. And I didn't know this, but this was from NFL Football Operations. Since 2002, no other quarterback-receiver duo has maintained a perfect rating over more than 15 targets. Jeez. And Lockett had 70. If you're Brian Schottenheimer, you see that stat that they were perfect together. Why not just throw every pass to Tyler? That's what I'm saying. Why not make the entire airplane out of the black box? Um, I think I can be an offensive coordinator is what I realized writing this article. Uh, yeah. And I won't be wearing a visor. Ooh. So there's already you, some You differences. would not go visor if you were in charge of play calling. No. And would you go hat? Brian Schottenheimer's visor is going to be one of my takeaways from tomorrow's mm. first day of camp. Yeah. Like, does he go blue visor or white visor? White visor. Yeah. There's a 
Uh, there's a 75% chance it's a white visor. But if you were in charge of play calling, would you go hat? Would you not Would you not wear a hat? I wouldn't wear a hat. You just go headset? Yeah, just headset. Because I want to the... be able to take it off and throw it if I get mad. There you go. And you need to have that ready. You, you don't want to take off your headset, throw it, and then get it tangled in your visor. Yeah. No, that's a bad look. <laughs> Um, as far as what's new, I would say the wide receiver group more than almost any other group, maybe more than any other group, um, has a lot of new young talent. So obviously the Seahawks took their three draft picks, DK Metcalf, Gary Jennings, and and John Ursua. Then you've got two undrafted rookie free agents and Jazz Ferguson and Terry Wright. All of them are going into camp. They added another wide receiver today, Daniel Williams. Um, so all of those guys are in the competition, uh, and as far as breakout candidate, um, obviously Tyler Lockett, you'd want to see another career year, but I did side with Brock and Sock from their most intriguing list this morning. I think that everyone is expecting, uh, a breakout year or hoping for a breakout year from a guy like DK Metcalf. I think that there is a lot of room to battle for targets in this group. I mean, Tyler Lockett is kind of cemented as that number one receiver. But after that, I mean, if you can establish that chemistry with Wilson early, um, there's not a lot of other people you have to fight off. Do you think Tyler Lockett has within himself another level to his game? Or is this the the peak of what we will see from him? I think so. You think he could go like 1,300 yards? Well, yeah. I mean, when you look at his performance last year, he wasn't even the leader in tar- in receptions. Or, I mean, in uh, targets. It was Doug Baldwin. It's true. So, I mean, I think there's still a lot of, I think people have this misconception that Doug Baldwin, because he was injured last year, was just absent. And he didn't have his best year and missed time with injuries, but he still accounted for like a good portion of receiving yards and targets. He had 73 targets to to Lockett's 70. So, I mean, imagine, Tyler Lockett hasn't been in an offense as a true number one receiver yet. No, that's true. And this is this is the first time that we'll see him take the majority of targets, presumably, from Russell Wilson. Yeah. You look at the the wide receiver group, you've got probably the locks right now are Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, David Moore, Jerron Brown. Those are the four. But who beyond that do you think gets the nod in that wide receiver group? Because Mm. I look at a guy like Keenan Reynolds. Yeah. And the Seahawks have had him around for a couple of years now. He is a slot receiver. He's a guy that is could fill into that Doug Baldwin role, not saying that fill into Doug Baldwin's production. Yeah. Oh. But yeah. at least certainly get to a level and or you know it's tailor made for Keenan Reynolds. He is, set. and they've brought him up to the active roster before when Doug Baldwin has been out. I think he was clearly that kind of next in line guy with that group. I think he and a guy like John Ursua are essentially going to be battling for really similar roles. So you've got um, about twelve to thirteen guys fighting for what five, six spots. Yeah. So it is a very crowded room. I think wide receiver and linebacker, and we're going to have that preview up later tonight for linebackers. Um, are probably the most the biggest kind of logjam on this roster. So I'll I'll do a quick uh, preview of running backs. Go really fast. Um, I mean, really the key contributor, obviously Chris Carson, coming off the first 1,000 yard season for a running back since 2014. 
and then as far as the breakout candidate, I think that this team is really hoping that you get a breakout year from Rashad Penny. And it's not that because he's a first-round pick, he's he should get carries over Chris Carson. But I think if you're a team that used a first-round pick when you could have traded back, but you saw someone and thought, we know we're not going to get him. Because that was the draft year when Seattle didn't have a second or third rounder. Mm -hmm. So it was first and then to the fourth. So they obviously knew that he wasn't going to fall to them and thought, we have to do it now. Um, So it's it's not that he had a bad year. It's just when you're the second running back taken and the first running back back taken is Saquon Barkley. And in a draft class that many people pointed to as like one of the best ever for running backs, and you go ahead of Nick Chubb, who had a tremendous season with Cleveland. Well, I mean, everyone went ahead of Philip Lindsay. I mean, every That's, team yeah. every team overlooks some great talent. But but you make it it's a great point. And I think that there is some pressure anytime you're a first rounder to to step up and make a big impact and I think it helps Penny if anything rather than hinders him that Chris Carson is an established threat in that backfield because um you want to be able to rotate them both in there, but uh I think you still – it might take a little bit of the pressure off you. It makes the competition stiffer for sure, but I, I think it helps a little bit to have that. So I'm sure that they're looking at him. As far as the specialists, um, our specialist article really focuses on Jason Myers. Obviously, you would hope that punter Michael Dixon, who had a really impressive rookie season, was one of two all-pros for Seattle in addition to Bobby Wagner. Uh, you're hoping he'll continue to be kind of a consistent piece and a consistent strength for special teams. But really the big thing is Jason Myers, who is both the new addition, key contributor, and breakout candidate. I think that this team is hoping they found their long-term answer there. They certainly paid him like one. Yeah, four-year contract. What was it, about $16 About $15-something million. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I think that this team knew it wasn't getting a long-term answer with Janikowski. What makes it interesting is they clearly didn't see what they wanted in Jason Myers last year because he was in camp competing against Janikowski, ended up signing with the Jets and having a Pro Bowl season. I think what Seattle is betting on now is that they're going to have 2018 Pro Bowl Jason Myers and not the Jason Myers that was released from Jacksonville and didn't make their team. It is so volatile in the NFL. Like You cannot predict the success of kickers year in and year out because – there were, you know, there was a probably about a three, four year stretch where Stephen Hauschka was automatic. Like mm-hmm. he was a guy you didn't have to worry about, and then all of a sudden he could not make an extra point to save his life, and he was missing easy field goals, and it just became such a headache for Seahawks fans that now we're on what? This is the fourth kicker in four years because you had Stephen Hauschka, Blair Walsh, Sebastian mm-hmm. Janikowski, and now you've got Jason Myers. So it's a vicious cycle that the Seahawks need to absolutely find an end to because if not, it's just going to be the same old stuff. And now you've got a much bigger contract implication to worry about if Myers doesn't at least come close to the success that he had a year ago in New York. I will say as a personal observation, he's looked accurate at all the offseason practices we went to. It was a total of like, seven practices or six practices, but um, I don't remember thinking at any of these, like, oof, really shanked that one. Yeah, you didn't look at it like, I could have done that. No, and I think, I mean, I think it just is a lot of added pressure because it's not like Seattle lost a kicker every year because he went and got signed somewhere else. Like, that's, I mean, Jason Myers became a free agent and left the Jets for Seattle. 
Seattle hasn't been in a situation like that. They've let their kickers walk because they lost games because of them. Let's get into your question. It's a lot of pressure. It is. It is. I mean, I'm ready for the Seahawks to just figure it out. 710sports.com. Check out all our previews. Check out everything Seahawks insider Stacey Ross has got. Give give us those page clicks. That's what we're looking for. Clicks. Click, 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 click. (laughs) (laughs) There's good stuff in there. I work really hard on Yes. She does it for you. It's free. I make sacrifices for you. Mm-hmm. I ate lunch late today. That really bothered Uh-oh. me. Uh-oh. But I did it to write about Jason Myers. Uh-oh. All right. Well, coming up next, Stacy, you asked the question here at work. You posed it to Twitter. Got tons of responses. What is the most iconic or historic moment in sports that you witnessed in person with your very own eyes? Text that into the Coors Light text line, 710-710. We've already got some pretty good responses coming in. Get yours in. We'll go through those next. We'll give you ours as well. And then at 830, big if true, Larry Scott, he stepped to the podium at Pac-12 Media Day, and he could have stepped right on off. That's coming up next here on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. 602, Stacey, they've got some fashion tips for you when you become the Seahawks offensive coordinator. They say you got to go full visor. Absolutely not. Full visor is a baseball hat. That's true. That's <laughs> I don't. Half, what do you mean full visor? Half hat is a visor. I just feel like visors make me aware that every time I'm choosing, you're choosing between a rock and a hard place. Do I have a visor and expose my scalp to sun damage and sun, being sunburned? Mm. Or do I wear a hat and like sweat underneath the hat because it's so hot? I'd rather just wear a hat and not realize I'm making the decision. Like I don't want to eat a burger in front of the cow. I just want to put the hat on and not realize that I'm making a choice. I don't want to be offered choices. <laughs> you know? That's how I feel about visors. I feel very strongly. There's your answer, 602. Uh, coming up in this hour, we still got some big if true at 830. Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott, he's got some high hopes for the conference. But is his time frame just too far off? We get into that coming up in about 10 to 15 minutes from now. But Stacy on Twitter today... You posed a question that has caught wildfire. It is it is doing gangbusters on Twitter right now. And you asked the question, what's the most iconic or historic moment in sports that you witnessed in person? Mm-hmm. You got a lot of responses. Like, yeah. we're not talking just about, like, 10 to 20. We're talking hundreds of responses. Well, and it was really cool because, uh, like, I would say the most popular response was Beastquake. Um, but... Obviously, it's because I work for a Seattle sports station. You're in Seattle. to Seattle fans, so you're going to get a lot of people that are local. But there were a lot of other responses that were about games that I either knew about because everyone knew about them and you just couldn't believe someone was there and you thought to yourself, gosh, that must have been insane. Or they were things that I hadn't really heard about. um, And then you look up videos or you look up whatever. So it kind of turned into this really cool, like I was scrolling through all the answers kind of watching highlights from some of these games that I didn't either didn't remember or didn't you know yeah or just didn't have a a great memory of and it was really cool so well then it's interesting too because there are there are moments that people are tweeted to you that on a historical landscape probably not totally relevant but like to them yeah it meant a lot to them that was was really cool it's like oh yeah I do kind of remember that but 
all right, cool, yeah. Yeah, like there was one guy who um, he tweeted about his when he was uh, like a teenager or kid, his dad snuck them into a building across the street and then they watched the kingdom and like that was special. Um, another person uh, tweeted in and said, that when the Mariners, they said, um, at OO Battle Axe, OO, I still have to go with the 95 M's and people storming the field, the field, digging up dirt from the bases. Someone walked into my mom's bar and started giving everyone some of the dirt. Like, like that, that's just that, a moment that's really cool for this person. And that is a moment that will never happen in sports again. No. Fans storming the field? No, that would never fly. Uh, a couple of texts coming in on the Coors Light text line, uh, 710-710, if you've got... An answer to this question, what's the most historic or iconic moment in sports that you were a witness to in person? Uh, maybe the most recent one, 253, say, uh, they say uh, they were at the Angels no-hitter against the Mariners when Tyler Skaggs' family was out oh, wow. uh, pregame. Uh, I mean, that was powerful just watching it. Yeah. And then, you know, it, I mean, we're, we're the Mariners' station, but it, those kinds of moments, when they happen at your team's expense... You can't get mad at it. No. You're just kind of like, yeah, that's yeah. that's those are the sports gods shining down on, on the Angels that night uh, from the 206 Mariners losing to the Indians in the 95 ALCS, uh, and then from the 503 Jen and Beaverton. They say they saw Reuben Mays run for 357 yards against Oregon in 03. Uh, they lived in Beaverton at the time, and it was so sweet. That's crazy. So the Cougs. Uh, Running all over Oregon there. So, there were two that I really liked. 84, I mean. Yeah. yeah. One was, um, so a couple people, at least two people, uh, tweeted back about Barry Sanders, like watching from the stands when he reached uh, 2,000 yards. And then uh, Big Ray responded, Ray Roberts, and said that some of his memories were blocking for Barry Sanders when we set the record for most consecutive 100-yard games on our way to rushing for 2053 yards. So it's like the the what it meant to not just a fan in the stands, but what those moments mean for players on the field or people involved with that organization. Did you I, see you got a response from uh Sports Center anchor Scott Van Pelt within I, the last like 5 minutes? I didn't know. Yeah, he responded. Uh he quote tweeted you and said when Michael Jordan did a, a dunk in 1984 at a University of Maryland game Yo. where he where he went to school, that's his alma mater. Yeah. Uh, he says, everyone in Cole gasped at the same time. It's routine now, but in 84, it was like a space alien arriving. I'm so, so jealous of people who are like, this is, you know what? Actually, the thing is that you're always jealous of people that are a bit older than you that saw something that you were too young to remember, no matter what. Like, there are people that are like, oh, I wish I was, you know, whatever my age was at the time. But I think of like, just some of like the legends of like 90 sports stars and watching them as a child is just different. Yeah. It's not as cool. Like my memories of that stuff is like looking up YouTube clips and I just imagine like a lot of the ones I saw that were really cool were like historic things that someone saw in person when you just can't replicate it. Like there's no HD TV that you can see the video happen and relive it. It really is like, like lore almost. Um, someone said, this is from uh, at Paul uh, Newt O. He says, my dad and I used to pick a joke baseball game every year, picked a random Giants Nationals game on a Tuesday before the season, and we ended up behind home plate for Bonds 756. Jeez. Right? Like the odds of that happening, 
so slim, and yet you you're there for a moment that, I mean, at the time, baseball unfortunately didn't celebrate it as much as it should have been because of Barry Bonds's you know controversy and how you know he probably used PEDs to get to 756 home runs. But, but still, but no one has ever hit more home runs in history. No. And the idea that you were there for that just on a whim, like you were like, yeah, we it was just a joke game. We thought it would be funny. We didn't really care about it. This is like people that like, like there were a couple of people who were like, yeah, I went to Felix's game just like because it was a day game. And we were like, sure, why not? Uh, more text coming in on the. Coors Light text line from the 206. Edgar's last ever at bat and Ichiro's 262nd hit in 2004. I was there for both of those as well. A couple Shout feisty ones. Um, one was the infield play and the Braves wildcard loss, which happened to be Chipper Jones's last game. The oh, riot Conrad. and trash on the field was a sight. You had to explain this to me because I didn't remember this at all. Yeah, the infield fly rule came into effect, and yet it wasn't a fly ball that landed in the infield. And so there was a lot of controversy about, you know, whether that should have been called or not. Um, and the Cardinals ended up taking the lead and, and winning it. Uh, from the 4-2-5, they were there for the catch made by Dwight Clark in the NFC Championship Game 49ers-Cowboys. Junior's eighth home run in a row when he hit a home run in eight straight days tying the Major League record. Uh, they were there for a lot of them. So four, two, five, two, five, three. Nolan, Nolan Ryan's last ever pitch, which happened in the Kingdom. Uh, I believe he injured his arm and, and didn't pitch again after that. So that's from the two, five, three. Uh, John Boyle of the Seahawks says it was the 2010 gold medal hockey game, seeing Sidney Crosby score in overtime to give Canada yeah. gold on home ice. That I remember watching that live, and that one hurt. Like I've never felt. I've never been that emotionally invested in a single hockey game the way I was that day, but that one I still remember like Team USA tying it with about 10 seconds to go and then overtime back and forth and then the puck is in the corner. Jerome McGinley gets it out to Sidney Crosby who's like right in front of the net, yeah. left all alone and gets it by Ryan Miller. And a cup- I mean, you can't get mad again at Canada for winning it on their home ice, but yeah. it still was just like, God. Dang, like, but still a historic moment. Like, there are some of these. Um, some of them were were like moments that just forever altered something. So, yeah. like, one person talked about being at the the race uh, with Dale Earnhardt's crash, and that that kind of that idea of something just forever altering a sport or being something that changes something forever. So, not all of them were wins in these like ecstatic moments. Some mm-hmm. of them were like, man, like I remember being there when this happened. There were a couple that were like that. Um, some big uh, kind of like a 2004 Wimbledon from uh, at Jesse Nutson at NC5. Um, there was a, a couple people, more people than I thought, saw Tiger win, win a few, which was surprising. Like, I didn't know that, that, I don't know, I guess I always just imagined that not as many people, I realize, are at like the U.S. Open and the Masters. Oh, then it hits me that there are a ton of people there. Golf tournaments get hundreds of thousands of spectators over the course of a weekend. Dude, I don't realize it. And I feel like if I were in the gallery for a Tiger Woods major, I would remember that for my entire life. Like, imagine the people who were at Augusta this last April seeing Tiger Woods win that first major after about, what, 11 years? Yeah. Like, that was a moment that. 
golf fans are, are never going to forget. And I'm not even a golf fan. Like, I don't watch golf tournaments outside of the majors. And if I were there, I would remember that for all time. I remember going to the U.S. Open in 2015 and just – I was only there for a day. Mm-hmm. And yet it's like, wow, like, this is a major championship. And it's here in our backyard and – like just walking around like, whoa, this is yeah. the craziest sight. A couple people had things that were like it, so historic that there have been like a 30 for 30 made of them or some other documentary because it just changed things forever. Uh, at Rob Tor 15 said that he was at the 1994 World Cup USA versus Columbia and he saw the own, the own goal by Escobar who was oh yeah Andres who was Escobar. later murdered yeah and and he said that he didn't understand what it meant at the time he was 15 but he ended up when the news broke, his dad had to sit him down and kind of talk about why it happened. So this is just, you know what I mean? It's like this monumental moment of him not realizing in the moment what it meant. And then he says that his dad just was like, oh, man, this guy is yeah. in trouble. From the 253, a uh, pretty funny one to end on here. They say they were on, they were at the only rain delay on record at T-Mobile Park slash Safeco Field because the roof didn't close properly. Whoa! It was during, I think, like the first season or the first two seasons or so of the stadium. It, the gears got jammed. Oh, I that think. is funny. And Can I tell you one last one? Yes. From at Linda Crumbs. This one's also personal, but I laughed. When I was at a minor league baseball game in Asheville, North Carolina, one of the coaches didn't like a call, so he threw a toilet onto the field. What? <laughs> that should be the number one moment. I mean, all these other... Yeah. I get all these like historic, groundbreaking moments, but... Man, this dude threw a toilet on the field. Like I can't deny that this is the best moment. That that changed the game. It did. It, probably, it really did. Like how? What do you do after that? Yeah. You... So, anyways, they were really cool. I actually learned a lot from reading that thread. There were a couple moments that I I meant to revisit. Text. Keep texting in your moments that you've been in person for that you saw with your own very eyes to the Coors Light text line seven ten seven ten. But coming up next, big if true, Larry Scott took to the podium of Pac twelve Media Days. It's his time frame for the conference's success too far off for your liking. We'll get into that coming up here. Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Rost. Here on Seattle Sports at Night. We need your text questions to the Coors Light text line 710. Yeah, for uh, ask us anything that's coming up around 845 as we wrap up the night. A lot of great moments being texted in. A lot of great moments being tweeted out there. Uh, just moments you have been a part of in person that you will never forget. Uh, sports moments, the iconic ones out there. Lots and lots of great ones Getting texted in. Uh, 408 says Michael Phelps and his eight gold medals Whoa. at the Beijing Summer Olympics. Shout out to shout out to that. I mean, I still remember watching that from I wasn't there in person, but I remember watching it at home. You being the competitive swimmer that you are. Exactly. Tenth place ribbon. Me being a, a an award winning swimmer. When do you th- do you think Michael Phelps has gotten 10th place in anything? Anything. I mean, like a cooking contest. Yeah, like I mean, I'm sure. I think. Well, no, I think if you're an Olympic athlete, you are probably someone who hates to lose and is just so good at winning that you get second and you're mad. I mean, I have to think that he's. I have to think in a lot of ways, Michael Phelps and I are similar mm-hmm. athletically. Yeah, I just don't know what ways that is yet. 
and we're we're going to find out. And yeah. that's pretty big if true. What also is big if true, today at Pac-12 Media Days, Commissioner Larry Scott, he stepped to the podium and he talked about man, 2024. That is when the Pac-12 Conference is going to skyrocket. That is when the Pac-12 will become the biggest player on the block. Do you think he's just hoping hoping that everyone will be so focused on climate change that we won't be paying attention to the Pac-12? It'll be like 2054. It's going to be great. And we're going to just be so worried about fires. Well, let's take a listen <laughs> to what Larry Scott had to say on tonight's Big If True. This can't be happening. Big. This can't be serious, man. If. Did, did he, he say, say that? that? True. History is going to change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious. Lizary Skizot. Stop. Like that? No, no. no. I Was didn't. I being too cool? Like those news That's anchors? the thing. You were yeah. being too cool. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Larry Scott, he talked at Pac-12 Media Days about how the conference is really set up great for 2024. Overall, when it comes to media, I think we're all noticing there's an unprecedented shift occurring in the media landscape and in consumer habits. While this creates uncertainty... It also creates tremendous opportunity. And because we own and control all of our media rights and have all of our rights coming up in 2024, we continue to feel very good about how we're positioned for the future. 2024, Stacey. Book it now. That's when the Pac-12 is going to be atop every major college football ranking. a really hard time with the concept of turning 30. I really don't want to wait until I'm 35. <laughs> you know? It's like the Pac-12 last won a football national title in 2003 with USC. They last won a basketball national title in 19. It's going to be like Haley's comment. I'm going to be too young to remember the first one and too old to care about the last one. Yeah. Yeah, cuz I think the next Haley's comment probably isn't for I would guess like another 40 years or so. Yeah. Uh, But like, how does the Pac-12 not feel a sense of urgency? It's in 2061. Yeah. So where will the Pac-12 be in 2061? Well, the NCAA hopefully will not exist in 2061. Hopefully it'll be disbanded. I know. What if they're even more powerful then? That'd be wild. Anyway, uh, think on that. Think with your mind's eye right now. But 2024, like, why isn't there more urgency at Pac-12 headquarters when they see these other conferences just continue to lap them? The ACC network is about to get launched by ESPN next month. They're already, like, at launch, they're going to be in more people's homes than the Pac-12 network is. Mm-hmm. And that's just absurd. Because, do you think it's pride? Like, do you think there's a yeah, kind of stubbornness always. with being like, trust us? Like, we keep talking about it like Larry Scott is bamboozling someone, but what if he genuinely thinks this is the way to go? And you know what I mean? Yeah. I think he... Like, he is saying, like, no, this plan will pay off. He's dug his feet too far into the ground. Yeah, you can't back out now. Exactly, because if you do, then people are going to be like, we told you so, Larry, and we told you so, so eight gonna years ago. So he's going to ride this one into the sunset. The Absolutely. only way that you change direction is if he's not there. Yes. And maybe it will work, but I think it's disappointing that it is that it doesn't seem like he's really being flexible 
and and willing to look at the way other conferences are doing things. And I think it really frustrates people that he's also the highest paid commissioner. Yeah. That adds uh, a he's, tinge. He makes a ton of money compared to every other commissioner in, in college football or just in college athletics. He makes $5.3 million. That is so many dollars. That's so many. Think of... Oh, my God. We talk about going to Taco Bell, Curtis. You could buy multiple of, franchises with ta- that kind of money. I could buy a whole Taco Bell and walk into it like it was my fridge. And, and, just, yeah, and like wear sweats yeah. into it. And, and I wouldn't even like, lie. I'd be like, look, you guys, 2035, we'll be fine. Don't yeah, worry about don't it. Don't worry Until about then, it. I'm just eating all my Taco Bell. God. That's like, how you lie. Jeez. <laughs> it, it reminds me of, like... You're on a road trip. This is back when you had to use the Thomas Guide rather than the Google Maps. And, like, you're you're lost, clearly. <laughs> and the person in the dra- or in the passenger seat is like, I think we're lost. Like, I, I don't recognize any of this. And the driver's like, no, we're not. We're not lost. I know where we are. And then, like, a half hour passes still further and further off the course. I know where we are. I can get us back on track. And the pa- person in the passenger seat's like, "No, nah, we're not even close to right. where we need to be." And like, "Nope, we're gonna get there this way, and this is the only way we can go now because we have committed to this, and there is no turning back." Meanwhile, you've everybody else who's like on their way to the destination where you're, Gets you there. want to, get, they get there, and there's and meanwhile, no you're left. in a horror movie, exactly, because that's exactly how it starts. No, it is, it is disappointing, and I think I never hear Lydia Cruz get mad ever. She's like an eternal optimist. And this morning she sounded angry. But I think it's she's a passionate UW Huskies fan. And I think she feels like and and many other people feel like this has just been kind of a lie. And they feel really disheartened. And the thing with college football that we talk about all the time is just the kind of fan base and loyalty and allegiance that people have is really like nothing else like it's it's not like the nfl there are diehard nfl fans for sure but there's a reason that college football is what it is there's a reason that bama is what it is and there are differences like it is harder for the pac-12 to compete with the sec um but i think that lydia and a lot of other people are disappointed with just the lack of transparency and honesty about the direction it's going in exactly when the fans, as we've heard from Larry Scott in past, that he doesn't have the fans' interest in mind when he makes decisions. He has the interest of the university presidents and the ADs, and that's it. And while it's nice that they are priority number one, it's really disheartening when the fans aren't even a priority because mm-hmm. without the revenue generated by the fans, there's no TV deals if the fans aren't watching. There's no... 70,000, 80,000 stadiums. Well, and it stadiums. extends to that. It gets hard to recruit, yeah. right? Like, all of a sudden, if I'm a player, why do I want to go play for a team that doesn't have world-class stuff? I mean, the Pac-12 is clearly competitive in that category, but it becomes harder to recruit, I think, when you can't make it clear that you're a program that every NFL team can easily see. Yeah. I, I'm. I look at it like this. Over the last couple of weeks, each and every conference has had their media day, whether it be the Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, ACC, SEC, whatever. Every other conference has got has made national headlines. They have been on ESPN. They have, you know, you know, quotes from those coaches have been played all over national radio and national television and, and all of this. 
The Pac-12 media day, I would wager that most Pac-12 football fans, like most diehard Pac-12 football fans, didn't have a clue what was going on this week. Yeah. They had no idea. Like, I'll be honest. I'm one of the biggest Pac-12 fans that I know. And when I looked at my calendar, I was like, oh, wait, that's this week? Oh, what? Pac-12, you you just snuck up on me right there. (laughs) But it's like in SEC country and in ACC country and Big Ten country, and yeah, this also has a lot to do with like what's available in those towns that makes college football what it is. Like Tuscaloosa, Alabama, there's nothing else there besides Alabama football. There is no pro sports Yeah, but look at Florida. Their college football is a huge deal, and they have three NFL teams. But those NFL teams aren't even as big as Wait, the do they have football. three NFL teams? They've got the Buccaneers, Jags. Oh, yeah, the Bucks. I was forgetting yeah, them. Yeah. yeah, so they do have three NFL teams. But those college programs have been in Florida longer than the pro teams have been. And for the most part, their pro teams have been garbage for a long mm-hmm. time. They've won, I think, three Super Bowls combined between the three franchises, two with the Dolphins, one with the Buccaneers. The Jags haven't been very competitive. The The Bucks have been competitive just in that tiny stretch of the late 90s, early 2000s. And then the Dolphins haven't been competitive since Dan Marino retired. Right. So it's like I understand that there's the drive and incentive on the part of fans there. But it's still like – I mean, think of your market, right? You have – you have fans who can spend money on it. You have coaches that are great otherwise at recruiting. Yeah. You know? And yet, the Pac-12 continues to get laughed and just continues to just say, hey, 2024, that's when we're, that's when we're back. 2024, I can't. I can't. Yeah, it's almost like saying you're going to be competitive in 2020 or 2021. I'm going to start telling my boss that, like, when's that article going to be done? I'm going to be like, 2024. Yeah. I'm going to take a step back. And I'm going to be like, but when you get it, it is going to be the best article you've ever seen. You're going to make more money from this article. It will be an article that all of the other writers will wish that they had. You just have to wait five five years. years. It's like saying to your boss, 2019, I got to be honest, my production, not going to be there. I'm going to take a step back this season. (laughs) But expect... A much Expect better product things. next year. And then two years from now, that's when I'm going to be at my best. So you just sit tight. Continue to pay me as you are. And Continue to pay me $5.3 million. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we'll run it back in a couple of years, see where we are. I think that sounds fine. Well, it's, uh, I don't see anything wrong with that. Nope. Coming up next here on Seattle Sports Tonight, it's your text questions to the Coors Light text line, 710-710. Ask us anything on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Stacey, this has been a fun one tonight. It has. We somehow ended up looking up the dating history of a couple USC quarterbacks just We now. did. We did. Getting into some random well, that, great conversations. That stemmed from one of the uh, moments that someone is brought forth is their moment that they uh, remember the Bush the push. most. Yeah, the Bush push, USC against Notre Dame back in, I think it was 2005, USC was undefeated. Notre Dame had one loss coming into that game. Notre Dame was in charge most of the night, and then USC 
gets the uh, the long pass to Dwayne Jarrett to set up a goal line uh, situation where they were able to get in. Matt Leinart sneaking in with a lot of help from Reggie Bush. Uh, certainly a very memorable game in college football. Uh, it's your turn to ask us anything here on Seattle Sports at Night. As we wrap up every single show with your text questions to the Coors Light text line 710-710. Stacy, are you seeing anything? Curtis. Yes. What uh, is the strangest thing you've seen someone do in public? Whew. We're on radio here, Curtis. Okay. Um, Strangest thing I've seen someone do in strangest. public. Strangest. So not just... I want you to think real weird. Real weird? I... I okay. I don't want to like, I don't want to bag on homeless people too much because there's reasons why they they are in their situation and it's all different and whatnot. But I I saw a homeless. Actually, no, never mind. The strangest thing I've seen witness in public was two homeless people on a bus. One was mad at the other person for having a cat on their shoulders that wasn't a service animal or was it it didn't have like a official like you know how they have that right. kind of like collar on them or whatever right. and he got mad at, the, at one of them and then the guy with the service cat or non-service cat he yelled at him back and then like the guy with the cat threatened to like mace the dude on the bus and like and then I'm sitting on the bus this girl who's sitting next to me she, I don't know her. She grabs my arm to like cower and to like protect herself from getting mace. And I'm just like, what is going on here? That was that is super weird. That was like five years ago. Yeah. I yeah, I don't have. I, I couldn't think of anything quickly enough. I don't know. Okay, yeah, that was um, the weirdest thing I've ever seen. From the two five three, have you ever paid six or seven bucks for a corn dog? at a carnival or fair and found out that it was not hand-dipped, but frozen. Ooh, I can't say that I have. Have you ever spent money on something from a restaurant where you're like 99% sure it was frozen? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Who among us hasn't? But 6 or $7 for a corn dog at a carnival or fair? That's pretty messed up. I, no joke. Okay, so this has nothing to do with like getting ripped off or anything. But I was in Disneyland uh, about three weeks ago. They have... Like deep fried, like they just put a giant cheese stick in corn dog batter Yo. and fry that up. It's just deep fried like yes. cheese. It's like a massive There's mozzarella this stick. This sports bar that I used to go to with a friend, and they had trivia on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. So we would go there, and they had these things that they called cheese logs. Oh man! And the first time I ordered them, I was like, "The mozzarella sticks," like because yeah. it said cheese logs with marinara, and I'm like, "Delicious!" But no, no, no. Get me seven. No. When you go to the grocery store and you look in the cheese section and you see the giant log of mozzarella cheese that's yeah. meant to be sliced up for like a presse. But they don't slice no, it. No, they just fry it. Yeah, and then yeah. they serve it to you. You oh, get yeah. three and I've never eaten more than one because I did order it again. <laughs> totally worth it. Totally worth <laughs> it. Absolutely worth it. Curtis, um, what's something you hate that everyone loves? Something I hate that everyone loves? Yes. Um... Uh, is there a TV show? A food? A food? I don't like capers. Does everyone love capers? I don't know, but they I seem to be cheese. they seem to be pretty popular nowadays. And people, oh, just put capers on it; it'll make it taste better. No, it won't. Yeah, because ta- capers taste like sweat. 
I never I don't got want into sweat um, on my food. Big Bang Theory. Uh, I watched the first couple of seasons, and then like the laugh track got annoying to where I was like, okay, like if you need a laugh track on a show, maybe the jokes aren't as funny as you think they are. Yeah, but some classic shows have laugh tracks. I think That's it's just true. of the time. Like maybe it was going from one time to another, and it just eventually was like one of the last shows with a laugh track. I don't know. Two five three. Who is better, Al Bundy or Uncle Rico? Uncle Rico. Yeah. I mean, he could throw a football over the mountains. Yes. Um. Do 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 do. What's your favorite background noise show? I do a show for background noise. I appreciate this question. I like any um, reality TV because then I don't have to pay attention. Yeah, Pawn Stars. That's a good one. Yeah, anything like that where it, it's just you just you have it on because it just makes you feel better. And like like you know every episode's gonna be close to the same. Well, and yeah, it's and just good. nothing bad can happen. Like I'm not, I don't believe in ghosts, but there have been times. When you watch this scary movie with like demons or whatever is in it that freaks you out. And there's just this feeling of pitting on reality TV that makes you feel like the scariest things in the world can't coexist with Real Housewives. Like there's just, I've never seen a scary movie where someone gets murdered watching reality TV. Actually, I will say the best background noise show, it is Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives with Guy Fieri. Of course It is absolutely that. Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. not surprised at all. And that's going to do it for us here on this Wednesday night. Training camp is now, what, it's 13 hours away. We got you even closer to training camp. Make sure you're locked in all day tomorrow. We're going to have wall-to-wall coverage from sunup to sundown. I'm excited. Stacey's excited. We're all excited to give that to you. For Stacey Ross, I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle.